0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Father. My name is Jesse Romero, and tonight I'm going to share with you how you can share your story. The most powerful thing that we have as Catholics is our our Christ-centered Catholicism. And you know why Jesus Christ is the only person that can change somebody else? You know why? Because He's alive. You notice every time we talk about Jesus, nobody ever says, the late, great Jesus. Like we say, the late, great Buddha, the late, great Confucius, the late, great George Washington, the late, great Abraham Lincoln. You'll never hear anybody say, the late, great Jesus. Why? Memo, he's alive. And because he's alive. He keeps setting people free, he keeps healing people, and he keeps changing people's lives. Let me just tell you what happened last week, then I'll get into my story. Last week, there was an ISIS terrorist, they're not good guys, by the way, okay? They're bad hombres, and he was like a lieutenant or captain within the terrorist organization and they're pure evil, pure evil. He has four Christians that he's torturing. I'll, I'll spare you the details. And so he goes back to his office after he finishes torturing four of our brothers and Jesus appears to him. And Jesus Christ has a A conversation with him, much like he had with Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. Called him by his name, I forget his name. And he said, why are you torturing my children? This ISIS terrorist, a high-ranking ISIS terrorist, was so rocked by the vision of Christ. Encountering the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He broke down crying in his office. He went down to the jail cell and he let them go. Now, the four Christian prisoners were thinking, okay, this is a setup. This guy's going to kill us any second now. He's probably going to shoot us behind the head as we run. And they asked him, They said, uh, uh, Sir, why are you letting us go? He said, Because Jesus Christ just appeared to me four times, four times in an eight-hour shift. And you know something? Once I let you go, I'm leaving ISIS, and I want to be a Christian and get baptized. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Why does this continue happening? because he's alive he's not the late great Jesus you know every one of us has a story especially if you're Catholic every Catholic has a story that you're living right now and your story is my great adventure with Jesus some of us are on neutral and some of us are maybe on you know you know on the slow lane we got to bump it up though But everybody's going through an adventure with Jesus, especially if you're a Catholic. Because when you were baptized, Jesus Christ chose you. You belong to him. But a lot of us are like rebellious babies. We fight we kick and we say, no, I don't want to follow you. But you know something? He's going to have his way because he's God. But he's patient and he loves us. And his, uh, he, uh, He's just, he's just incredibly patient, and his love is everlasting. So what happened to me? I'm 55 years old. I was born in a Catholic family. My parents are from Mexico. Most Mexicans are Catholic. Most, at least traditionally. But I was more of a cultural Catholic. I went to Mass every Sunday, went to Catholic school, uh, you know, tried to follow the family devotions, the feast days, we would participate in the life of the parish. I went through the steps of being a Catholic, but it was never really in my heart. In my heart, I was thinking about other things. I was real caught up in kickboxing, competitive kickboxing, boxing, martial arts. Uh, got into the LA Sheriff's Department rather young. Police were also consumed my, my time taking people to jail, studying the laws. Those things were much more important for me than God. I was more of a cultural Catholic or what the Bible calls a lukewarm Catholic. Have you ever heard of a lukewarm Catholic? Okay. In fact, Jesus Christ says, in case you're wondering, what does Jesus think about lukewarm Catholics? He said, In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, he says, oh, that I wish you were hot on fire or cold, an atheist, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to become the vomit of Jesus. I can tell you for 27 years of my life, had I died, Up until about the age of 26 or 27, I would have been vomited out of the mouth of Jesus Christ and went to hell. Because for the most part, for about 26 years, I lived in mortal sin. Once I hit the age of reason, right around seven or eight. I was a cultural Catholic, but God wasn't in my heart. It was just kind of something external that I did, because all Hispanics in the barrio have to go to Mass on Sunday. But there is no love in my heart. In fact, the, the church teaches this. It's, a, it's in a document called Lumen Gentium, Paragraph 14, The Constitution of the Catholic Church, okay? If you want to know. It says this, although you're a Catholic, and you belong to the true church, if you don't have love in your heart for God, you Catholic will not be saved. But, but, but I'm a Catholic. I'm registered at St. Miscellaneous Catholic Church. I receive my sacraments at St. Diversity's Catholic Church. What do you mean, I, I'm like, I can't go to heaven? I went to Catholic school, same politically correct Catholic school. The church is very clear. If you're a Catholic, and you don't have love for God in your heart, you will not be saved. What does that mean? You're going to go to hell. That's what that means, quite simply. Oh, well, I know people don't like to hear that hell talk. We've got to get used to it, because it's going to be pretty populated. And the goal of life is not to get there. So the church calls all of us to conversion. So what is conversion? What does that mean? It's a Greek word which means change your mind, make a U-turn, give your back to Satan and give your face to God. That's what conversion means, metanoia in Greek. In fact, every time you hear the word repent in the New Testament, Mark 1, 15, repent and believe in the gospel, repent, that's the word metanoia, which means turn your back on the world, turn your back on sin, give your face to God, that's what that means. Change your mind, do a U-turn. You know, C.S. Lewis says, if you see everybody running off the cliff towards hell, guess what, run the opposite direction, Amen pretty good idea so what happened right around the age of 26 I uh, the Lord assigned a rookie for me to work with as a partner and so I didn't really care to work with him for for for, for a variety of reasons but he happened to be one of those committed fundamentalist evangelical protestant christians so here i'm working with him eight hours a day as a partner and i'm a lukewarm catholic and he's a fired up fundamentalist well i'm somebody who likes competition so as you know in between work as we would be talking He'd be telling me stuff about, oh yeah, and the Lord this and the Lord that, and the Bible says this, and I was saying, man, okay, I don't want to sound stupid in front of this guy. I mean, I am Catholic. I didn't go to Catholic school. So I started saying, if I'm going to work this guy for at least six months, I better I'm going to tell him to shut up. Okay, I don't want to talk to you, let's just do work, or I'm going to engage him. So what I started doing? Undercover, I started going home and reading my Bible. (laughs) I never picked up the Bible before the age of 26. It was in my closet on a high shelf, still in the cellophane wrap. (laughs) The way I received it in confirmation. And I, I told my mom, my mom and dad were very involved in the church. They were involved in the Legion of Mary and in the charismatic renewal. They were charismatic Marian Catholics, devotees. So I said, Mom, Mom, I'm working with a fundamentalist at work and stuff. And, and he, shared, he shared his faith with me, Mom. And, and, I, and I don't know. It's, I, I want to share it back, but I don't know where to start. And my mom told me, and my dad, they said, See that Bible we bought you that you've never read? I said, Yeah. They said, you got to get to know Jesus, son. That's what we've told you all your life. You know about Jesus through Catholic school, by going to Mass and stuff, but you don't know Jesus. I said, what do you mean? You don't love him. Do you love Jesus? Well, a little bit, (laughs) then you don't know him, and until you love him, then you will know Him." I said, okay, Mom, I want to know Him more. what I do? what I do? Mom and Dad told me, start reading every day when you get out of work, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Take about three chapters, slowly reflect on it, ask God to speak to you, Lord, speak to me through Your Word. Take a yellow marker, wrestle with the text, look at a word. If you don't understand it, look it up in the dictionary. Plant God's Word in your soul every day. Take five or ten minutes. I didn't realize what my mom and dad were telling me to do. It was a, It's an old practice called Lexio Divina. They didn't, they didn't know the name to it, though. But that's what they were telling me to do. So I started doing that. Now I'm going back to work. I remember my fundamentalist partner bringing up Scripture, talking about the Lord, this and that. And I was, I was starting to share right back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And didn't Jesus say in, you know, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Yeah, dude, we're peacemakers. We're peace officers. We're cops. That's us. He's talking about us. So now we're having good conversations. And as a result of him, he got me to start reading the Bible. And we started doing stuff together. We started evangelizing prisoners. We would start evangelizing people together, and we we became like a little tag team. We called ourselves the Soul Patrol. (laughs) I was a Catholic. He was a Protestant. We were both Christ-centered. We developed a strong bond with each other. And I remember about three or four months down the line of reading the Bible every day, I would read my Bible underneath. A mantle, the living room mantle, where we had a big picture of the sacred heart of Jesus that my mom and dad gave me when we got married. And there's a there's a promise there. Uh, whoever enshrines the sacred heart of Jesus in their home, the Lord will bless their home. And so I, was, I would come home at midnight, get off work from downtown LA at midnight, had about a 30-minute drive, make myself a cup of hot tea. Drive my Bible, turn on the light, and I'd sit under the Sacred Heart of Jesus, make the sign of the cross, and start reading my Bible. What happened? I can tell you, within a couple of months, I I don't know exactly when, but I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with Him. Now certain people said, Jess is going through a phase. Jess is pretty intense, you know. (laughs) Competitive kickboxer, competitive boxer, you know, runs 10K races. Uh, you know, he likes competition. He likes to win. He likes to, he likes stimulation. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you how I'm. I, it, I'm the 10-time California police Olympic boxing champion, and I'm the three-time world police and fire international Olympic boxing champion. I am the former United States middleweight, full contact karate champion, middleweight, and I won five times consecutive, five times in California, the California state title five years in a row, middleweight kickboxing. I was intense. When I got into something, I was in it to win it, all right? And so now that I'm starting to understand who this Jesus is and what He's done for me, I'm saying, "Man, this is what I've been missing." I can just tell you this: probably around the age of 27, I got a man crush on Jesus, <laughs> and people said, "Oh, it's gonna wear out. It'll wear just." My, my, my brothers are saying, he's intense, my cousins, my friends, he's intense. He gets into something, but in two, three years, he'll be into something else. It'll, it'll wear out. It's Jesus. It'll wear out. Guess what? I'm 55. <laughs> my love for Jesus continues to grow. Sometimes I feel my soul is so inflamed with love for a moment, to pop or levitate, one of the two. <laughs> and so every one of us has this journey with Jesus. Some of us are a little bit slow, you know, off the starting blocks, but the way you share your faith with somebody is this way. St. Paul sh- shows us in the book of Acts chapter 9, when you look at Saul of Tarsus, And his witness, his conversion, Saul of Tarsus was a bad guy, a legalistic Pharisee, a persecutor of Christians, hated Jesus Christ, hated the Messiah, hated the church. He he believed that following the 616 laws of the Pharisees, was going to give him that righteousness before God to be blameless and get to heaven. So he persecuted what he considered a heretical sect within Judaism, or an offshoot of Judaism. But then what happened to him? One day, in Acts chapter 9, on his way to Syria, Damascus, where ISIS is at right now, that's where St. Paul was converted, on his way to Syria, Damascus. Syria. That's where Isis is headquarters. He's in Damascus. The Bible doesn't say he's in a horse, but we know he, he was in a horse because he was in a military campaign to arrest Christians. And everybody that was sent on a military campaign, Jews, Romans, Greeks, they all went, they all used horses on a military campaign. So of Tarsus. All of a sudden encounters this blinding light, who is it? It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, alive. Jesus speaks to him. St. Paul falls off his horse, he didn't believe in Jesus, he believed God had no son. All of a sudden he sees the Son of God himself and he speaks to him and he feels his presence. Saul of Tarsus, the Bible says, he goes blind for three days, absolutely blind. Three days later, there was another disciple of Christ called Cornelius. The Lord told Cornelius, pray, pray over Saul of Tarsus, I'm going to use him very powerfully to convert the Gentiles. Ananias says, I don't want to pray for him, he's a bad guy, he, he persecutes us. Cornelius says, Pray for him. The Lord says, to Cor- Pray for him. He's my chosen vessel. Ananias, disciple of Christ, out of obedience, lays hands on Saul of Tarsus, prays for him to regain his sight in the name of Jesus. Miracles have happened for 2,000 years when people pray in faith in the name of Jesus. You can pray under any other name till you're blue in the face. Nothing will happen. Don't waste your time praying for somebody in some false prophet's name. Too many to enumerate. Nothing will happen, but when people pray in the name of Jesus, Miracles have been happening for 2,000 years. I'll give you an example. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I just moved from Southern California a year and a half ago. I left the left coast. <laughs> the land of fruits and nuts. Hey, I can say that I lived there 54 years, okay? <laughs> That's when I was born and raised went to school there, worked as a cop there, fought there in the ring. I know California like you know this place. I left a year and a half ago, moved to Phoenix, Arizona. A month ago in Phoenix, Arizona, just to show you the power of Jesus, there was a 30-year-old Hispanic lady, mother of three children, named Daphne Gutierrez. She's been certifiably blind for 10 years. She became blind at the age of 20, a rare eye disease, uses a cane, a seen eye dog, certifiably blind. She's taken everywhere by her husband. Daphne, about four weeks ago, was invited to a Lebanese Catholic church, St. Joseph Maronite Church. They said, hey, there's going to be a... Uh, they're going to have a relic of St. Charbel, a very prominent Lebanese saint. And the priest is going to pray after Mass for people to be healed in Jesus' name through the intercession of St. Charbel. She'd been to many other services like that. She's a good pious Catholic woman. She says, okay, I'll go. The neighbor says, come on, let me take you, Daphne. Sure, sure, I'll go. I have no problem people praying over me. Sure, God's will be done. So Daphne goes not expecting anything to happen because she's been to a lot of other services where people pray for her. The priest, Daphne walks up. The priest takes out the relic of St. Charbel, puts it on her forehead. They tell her that she's blind. He prays over her and says, through the intercession of St. Charbel, Jesus Christ is going to give you your sight back and set you free from blindness. She went back to her pew. This was after Mass. They celebrate the Divine Liturgy, and then the priest prayed with the people with a relic after Holy Mass. She went and sat down. Her husband took her home, and uh, her husband said, so how do you feel? She goes, I feel good. I felt, I felt consolation. The, the priest's words brought me a lot of consolation. They went to bed, nothing, first night, second night, third night. On the third night, Daphne wakes up screaming. Like three or four in the morning, she's screaming. In fact, she said it was three in the morning. Very interesting. Three in the morning for us as Catholics, it's not a Satan's hour. For Satan's, it is. For us, three in the morning—that's Jesus's hour. In case you didn't know, sacred tradition tells us that Jesus Christ rose from the grave three a.m. Sunday morning. So if you wake up at three a.m. Start praying the divine mercy because your guardian angel woke you up to pray for somebody in purgatory, to pray for a family member. Don't you give the devil any credit and say, Luke, 3 a.m., I'm afraid, it's the devil's hour. No, it's not. For them it is. For us it's Jesus' hour. Amen? So Daphne wakes up at 3 a.m., she starts screaming. Her husband's next to her. My eyes are hot, my eyes are hot, my eyes are hot. Her husband wakes up, turns on the lights. She's screaming, my eyes are hot, my eyes are hot. He turns around. He puts his hands, honey, honey, calm down. He puts his hands on her eyes, they're hot. He goes, your eyes are hot. He takes his hands off. She opens her eyes. She sees him. The kids run into the room because they see their mom crying at three, yelling at three in the morning. One, two, three, they run in jumping, wow, mom. She looks at all of them, calls them by name, describes them. Daphne Gutierrez, right now, who was certifiably blind in both eyes, there's medical documentation that's on the internet saying this woman was 100% blind on both eyes at the age of 20, at the name of Jesus, at a Maronite Catholic church, a priest prays over her, And Daphne, at the age of 30, has 20-20 vision in both eyes. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Why can't she see? Because Jesus Christ is alive. And because he's alive, Jesus Christ is in the business of miracles. For us, a miracle is something that takes our breath away. For Jesus, who is God's son, a miracle is, guess what, an ordinary action of God, alright? Every one of us, every one of us has a story. Let's look at Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus could stand up here right now and say, I was. A Pharisee, a bad guy, a persecutor of the church. Phase two, I encountered, I encountered Jesus. I am Paul the apostle, apostle of the Gentiles, preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lover of God, servant of the Messiah, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's everybody's story in this church. If you're a Catholic, when you share your faith, because none of us were born saints, so those of said, oh, I was born a saint. I got got nothing to share, don't be lying, your nose is going to (laughs) grow. Some people's conversions, to be sure, are slower. Some people do live a more pious life, but nonetheless, there is a turning point. Where somebody says, "You know what? I got to get closer to Jesus. Okay, I'm on neutral, and I've got to put it on first gear. I got I got to drive." Every person's journey of faith, great adventure with Jesus, is this A, B, C. I was. This is who I was. I can tell you who I was. I was a narcissistic, self-centered, egomaniac. Me, myself, and I, if it feels good do it, hedonists, like to fight, blackbound karate, boxer, kickboxer. Don't like to fight? Little bit. Police work, authority, guns, power, take you to jail. I was full of myself. And you know what? Because I was the center of my life. I sat on the throne of my life, and God was something I did for an hour on Sunday. He was in a box somewhere, but then there came a point in time where I had sufficient reflection. I examined my conscience to the point where I said, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture, something's wrong, time out. And I said, I'm not supposed to be the center of my life. Jesus is. So there came a point upon examination of conscience, looking at my narcissistic life, and most Americans, that's what most Americans are, narcissists. They worship the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. I'm the center of the world. It's all about me. If it feels good, do it. That's That's most of our stories right here. And when you encounter Jesus, all of a sudden, you say, you know what, I've been driving this car too long, Jesus, you drive the car, I'm sitting shotgun, amen? That's what I did. At about 27 I say, you know what, this is wrong, this is absolutely wrong the way I'm living my life, and the way I treat people. I'm so full of myself because I was driving the car. And so I said, "Uh uh-uh, all of a sudden my heart, I started seeing things clearly as a Catholic for the first time. I started realizing, you know what, there's, there's an end game. You know what the end game is, death, judgment, heaven, hell. When we all die, and 100% of us are going to die in this church, okay? Look around. 100%! When we die, there's only two places every one of us are going to end up at. When you die, in eternity, there are winners and losers. You choose. That's it. When you die, there's no second chances can I get a do over? No. And let me tell you something. On Judgment Day, when we all die and meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to appeal say, But I'm a snowflake. Give me some Play Doh and hot cocoa. Can I have a do over? It's over. You're done. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, for it is appointed for a man to die once and then be judged, period. Right now, every one of us is on stage. You are performing right now. Everything that comes out of your mouth, every action you take, you're all on stage right now. One day, the the curtains are gonna close, and Jesus Christ is gonna call you and give you a letter grade. That's sober, that's sobering. So how do you share your faith with somebody else? As a Catholic, I'll give you a simple formula that'll help you out. Whatever you do as a Catholic Christian, Remember this: A, B, C. Always be Christ-centered. When you come to mass on Sunday, A, B, C. What's that? Always be Christ-centered. When you say grace before meals, A, B, C. What's that? Always be Christ-centered. When you go to work and deal with your coworkers, A, B, C. What's that? Always be Christ-centered. In your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, A, B, C. What's that? when you pray the family rosary say it once or twice a week ABC what's that Always when you do maybe you, say, you do your divine mercy at 3 o'clock ABC what's that Len comes around you get your ashes on Ash Wednesday ABC what's that Always you participate in the retreat ABC what's that Come on your own to do the station of the cross around the church, ABC. What's that? Oh, everything you do as a Catholic, everything you do as a Catholic, we do it as the prayer of the church at Mass says through him, with him, and in him. Amen. Amen. Everything we do, every breath we take, every action we take, we do it through Jesus. With Jesus and in Jesus. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> evangelization. So, what is evangelization? The word evangelization comes, that's a verb, but it comes from a smaller word, which is a noun, which is Evangel. Evangel is a Greek word that means good news. Who is the evangel? Jesus. Who is the evangel? Jesus. Now when we change that noun to a verb, evangelization, that means sharing, proclaiming our faith in Jesus. So evangelization means sharing, proclaiming our faith in Jesus. How do we do it? Let me give you some, let me give you some tips that'll be helpful. First of all, we got to know what the gospel is, so I'll make it simple. Somebody asks you, say the Martian comes down, some extraterrestrial comes down and asks you, Bob Ferguson, what is the gospel? I just came from Saturn, okay? What is the gospel? Instead of saying, hmm, hmm, let me uh, uh, get my cell phone. Uh, let me get the cat. Simple gospel. What is the gospel? G O S P E L. God's only Son provides eternal life. Simple. What is the gospel? Simple. Now, how do you share the gospel? How do you share the gospel? Let's go back to that word gospel. G O S P E L. How do you share the gospel? Here. Go out, serve, preach, evangelize, love. Simple. do you share the gospel? Go out, share, preach, evangelize, love. So what is the gospel? God's only son provides eternal life. How do you share the gospel? Go out, share, preach, evangelize, love. There you go. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm bored talking about myself. I want to talk a little bit now about how to develop a stronger faith. The way our faith becomes stronger is you have to enter into a life of prayer. What blood is to the body, prayer is to the soul. There's three types of prayer in the Catholic Church. I'm not going to go too deep. I'm just going to go superficial. But I, I wrote it in a book. It's all, it's all here. I'm just going to take some highlights. Three types of prayer. Vocal prayer. Say vocal prayer. Vocal prayer. Meditative prayer. Contemplative prayer. Contemptative. Three types of prayer. Arch, the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen, he says, Vocal prayer is like going to God on foot. All prayer takes you to God. All prayer is is meant to establish communion with God. Vocal prayer takes you to God on foot, Archbishop Shane says. Meditative prayer is like going to God on horseback, a little faster. Contemplative prayer is like going to God on a jet. All prayer takes you to God. The contemplative prayer takes you to God faster. What are some some examples? Vocal prayer, of course, it involves praying with particular words, either mentally or out loud. Vocal prayer. Meditative prayer, it means thinking over, reflective prayer. A perfect example of meditative prayer is the Holy Rosary. That's 15 minutes of meditation on different aspects of the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the perfect example of meditative prayer. The chaplet of the Divine Mercy. That's about five or six minutes of sustained meditative prayer, where you're focusing on the cross of Jesus and the blood that He shared in atonement and reparation for your sins. Those are examples of meditative prayer. Meditative prayer is powerful, powerful. You know why? Because meditative prayer, what it does, it changes the way you think. And that's exactly where the devil attacks. Where does the devil attack us? In our thoughts, in our mind. And so the battle that we have as Catholic Christians, any Christian, against Satan, the battle, the cage match, is in the mind. So if you're a person that doesn't practice meditative prayer or contemplative prayer, which I'll define then you're powerless against Satan. Powerless! Look at what a 4th century exorcist says about meditative prayer. Saint Isaiah the Hermit, 488 AD, he said, meditative prayer melts our evil thoughts away. Meditative prayer withers the passions of our soul. Meditative prayer wounds demons. Let me ask. Who here, who wants a wounded demon here? Who wants a wounded demon? Okay? I don't know about you, I want to give a demon the beat down! Ground and pound. Tap them out. How do you do it? Demons aren't afraid of guns, rifles, shotguns, AR-15s, grenades. Demons are afraid of a person whose mind is given over to God. The power against demons is in the mind. St. Isaiah the Hermit, 4th century exorcist. Meditation drives away thoughts of wickedness. Meditation helps us live in the presence of God. Highest form of prayer, contemplative prayer. What's that? Fulton Sheen says, contemplative prayer is like going to God on a jet. Contemplative prayer is prayer beyond words in which we simply gaze upon our Lord in silence and love. Holy silence. Going to adoration and just being in the presence of Jesus Christ in holy silence. St. John Chrysostom says, silence is the language of God the Trinity. King David says in Psalm 37, he says, be still and know that I am God. Contemplation is the highest form of prayer. And here, a study was done, I I interviewed a a brain surgeon by the name of Dr. Vince Fortoneski, one of the top brain surgeons in the US. He's been a brain surgeon for 35 years. He works at, he's a chief surgeon at UC Irvine. He, in fact, he was St. John Paul II's personal doctor for the last five years of his life. He he lived in the Vatican. They flew him to the Vatican and his family, he lived there and treated St. John Paul II for Parkinson's the last five years. He's one of the top brain surgeons in the world. He told me in an interview that I did with him that he was involved in a study. He said, Jess, he said I was involved in a study with other brain surgeons, he says, a person who meditates in prayer for about 15 minutes a day, here's what he said. Meditating 15 minutes a day in prayer improves our immune system, improves our feeling of wellness, makes us feel more positive and optimistic. He says, meditating 15 minutes of in prayer, he says, it opens up the interior part of the frontal lobe he said there's a thing called the positive optimistic center on the right here in the front of the brain and he says 15 minutes of meditative prayer causes positive neurotransmitters dopamine and serotonin to be released throughout the body he says so you'll actually see there's a physical chemical reaction in the human body when somebody prays for at least 15 minutes a day. You flood your body with serotonin and dopamine, 15 minutes of prayer. Oh, how long does it take to pray the rosary? Oh wow, 15 minutes. You know why a lot of guys are in a bad mood? Because most guys don't pray, or they got a shallow prayer life. They wake up, good morning, bye, see ya. (laughs) You don't believe me? Why are our prisons so full of men? Why are our jails and prisons, 98% of the population of prisoners in this country are men? Why? why are they so angry and more violent why they don't pray if you don't pray what ends up happening you're not flooding your body with those glands that the lord put in your body to make you feel optimistic and well and joyful more women pray than men that's why women Commit less crimes than men More women are totally receptive to God in prayer and faith That's why women don't have this real violent streak like men do 2% of the prison population of the US are women And guys think oh yeah, you know what? I don't need prayer a lot of guys They walk around what I would call spiritually constipated (laughs) you know how it is when you're constipated you know what I'm talking about okay see the body wants to release toxins and and the body wants to release dopamine and serotonin and the body's waiting for you to pray but since you're not praying a lot of guys walk around like this in a bad mood like Because God is giving us those neurotransmitters to be released to make us feel better. You know, you know when people ask me, how you doing? Like, I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, and if hope was money, I'd be a millionaire. Heck, if I was any happier, I'd be twins. i been saying that every day for 15 years. You know why? Because I pray. I'm a person committed to a life of prayer. So you know what? I don't need drugs to release the serotonin and dopamine. I don't need to be looking at pornography to release the serotonin and dopamine. I do it God's way. Enter into 15 minutes of prayer a day, which is easy. I mean, just the rosary right there, and you release the serotonin and dopamine for the rest of the day, and you could walk around not spiritually constipated. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Let me tell you a couple of ways for you as Catholics to protect yourself against, you know, Satanism is on the rise right now in America. Satanism is on the rise. I've talked to several exorcists, and the reason they say that Satanism is on the rise is because of three things. Drug use is on the rise, drug addiction, in fact, heck, they're legalizing it in many states now, okay, marijuana, medical, recreational, whatever you want to call it. Uh, More people are involved in the occult, seances. Reiki, Ouija boards, Hindu practices, tarot cards, horoscopes, santeria, makumba, voodoo. There's a rise in the occult in America. And the third thing that we're finding, there's also a rise in pornography. Those are the three ways a demon attaches himself to a human person. Those are, those are what's called portals. What's a portal? A portal is a theological word which means a door. You open the door to a demon by entering into these prohibited areas. And so, what are some of the ways we can protect ourselves against evil spirits? Here's one way, very simply, okay? I don't know if you realize, when you were baptized, that was the first line of defense. The sacrament of baptism, when the priest prays for you, the priest does a simple exorcism over you, or the deacon. Paragraph 1673 of the catechism says, the sacrament of baptism is a simple prayer of exorcism performed over the catechumen. So all of you that have been baptized, most of us as babies, you received an exorcism over you. That's the first line of defense. One of the reasons why there's a rise in Saint, satanic activity, there are less baptisms in the Catholic Church right now, right now, present tense, than at any other time in history. Less people baptize their children. So because less Catholic couples baptize their children, what, what do they say? They say, oh, I'll let them grow up and decide what religion they're going to choose. Are you kidding? What kind of a doofus statement is that? I'm going to let my kid decide I don't think so there's only one true God his name is Father Son and Holy Spirit Trinity in unity unity in Trinity and there's only one true church it's called the one holy catholic and apostolic church are you kidding you think I'm going to let my kid pick french fries and salad over a bone steak There's another reason why Satanism is on the rise all over America. Less people get married in the Catholic Church. There are more people now in our country cohabitating, which, here's an unpopular word that people don't want to say no more. They say, oh, they're living in irregular marriages. Bull twinkies! That's not a regular marriage! That's fornication! That's adultery! Call it what it is! What do you mean irregular marriage? What is that in the Bible? kind of politically correct language is that? What we're doing by living against God's commands and God's decrees, what we do, we offend God. We enter into a life of mortal sin, and demons are attracted to people in mortal sin. Just like flies on a hot summer are attracted to dog poo poo. Demons are attracted to people who live in mortal sin. So how else do we protect ourselves? I want to give you Rocky Marciano Catholicism here. Something else that helps you, as a Catholic, protect yourself. See what I'm wearing around my neck? You know what it's called? Who can tell me? Specifically, it's called a Saint Benedict's crucifix. What is a Saint Benedict's crucifix? Saint Benedict was a fifth century exorcist in Europe. He's the one that, he's the founder of the Benedictines. He's the one that developed this crucifix specifically for exorcisms. In the back of this crucifix, this is the only Catholic sacramental that actually has an exorcism prayer in the back. This, this crucifix, the Catholic Church says, when it's properly blessed by a Catholic priest, Demons cannot be in the presence of somebody who wears the St. Benedict's medal. It is an exorcism prayer that you wear around your neck. It just repels evil spirits. This is the crucifix that's used in major solemn exorcisms. And so I don't know about you, but I kind of feel good that demons can't get anywhere near me, because I got me my bulletproof vest. <laughs> There's a prayer in the back. Want to hear the prayer the way it goes? Want to hear it? It's an exorcism prayer. It's in the back. It's in Latin. It goes like this. Crux sancti patris benedicti, crux sancta sit mihi lux Non si non nostro, presentia gloria patri, amen. Now that's good, there was no reaction. That's good. Trust me. That's that's good that there was no reaction. I'm very happy. I'm in good company. Sometimes in other parishes uh, things happen that I'm glad didn't happen tonight. Another another way, another thing that the devil fears, there's uh back in the 4th century there's uh a Catholic historian, but he was an advisor to Emperor Constantine. His name was Lactantius. This was back in the 3rd century. Lactantius wrote, he witnessed this, he said that in the 3rd century when he would see demons attacking Catholics, he said Catholics would make the sign of the cross, and here's what he writes. This He wrote this 1,700 years ago, Lactantius. He was a Christian advisor to Emperor Constantine, who had a conversion to the Catholic faith. He said, quote, Christians who put on the immortal sign on their foreheads, at this the demons were chased away. Demons are afraid of the sign of the cross. Why? Because remember the movie The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie? Remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross? The movie just shifts to a scene where the devil starts screaming. And a lot of people are saying, okay, Jesus our Lord dies on the cross, isn't that what Satan wanted? Why is the devil screaming now? So a lot of Catholics don't make the connection. Why why did he start screaming in like pain and horror when Jesus died? Because the devil wasn't certain if Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Wasn't absolutely certain. At his death, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the devil absolutely knew at that point with complete certainty that who had died on the cross was the Son of God, and what he did was pay for the sins of the world with his blood. It's as if God did judo on Satan. God took Satan's plans. To have the jews and the romans in collusion to kill the son of god and it's like judo where you allow your opponent to come to come to come to come to come and you throw him with his body using his body weight and his momentum jesus christ on calvary used judo against satan satan said let's kill him let's kill him let's kill him wasn't sure he was a son of god once he died All of a sudden he had clarity and knew, oh, this was the Son of God. He started screaming because he knew now, oh no, he just paid for the sins of the world. I had them all. I had the entire human race. He just paid the debt for their sin. Jesus Christ on Calvary, he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owe a debt to God the Father that we cannot pay. We cannot pay the sin debt. So the Father sent the Son to pay the sin debt for us on Calvary with His blood. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have eternal life." That is why Satan screamed, because at that moment he knew, now the Son of God has paid for the sins of the world. Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What's the best way to protect yourself against the devil? Best way. got to live in a state of grace. There are 50 states in the country, we can argue about which is the best state to live in. We can argue about that. But I'll tell you one thing. As a Catholic, there's one state you want to live in, it's called the state of grace. As a Catholic, I can tell you another thing. There's one state you don't want to live in, it's called the state of mortal sin. Other than that, knock yourself out and live wherever you want. <laughs> so people say, okay, so if I live in a state of grace, I'm protected against Satan? Yep, sure are. Who says that? Your opinion, Jess? No, not my opinion. The top exorcist of the world. I'll quote them for you. Father Chad Ripperger, professor of exorcism, Mundelein Seminary, Chicago, Illinois. Professor of exorcism. He's like the Navy Seals in Catholicism, this man, this priest, right? He says this, quote, the first state of protection against demons live in a state of grace. Father Antonio Fortea, exorcist from, from Spain, another Navy SEALs amongst priests, a, a professor of exorcism at the Vatican, here's what he says, the best shield and armor against the attacks of the devil is prayer, the sacraments, good works, and living in a state of grace. Certainly. A person who prays and lives in God's grace will be protected by God. Another top exorcist in the world, just passed away about two months ago, Father Gabriel Morth, he was the chief exorcist of the Vatican for 33 years, assigned by St. John Paul II. He just passed away two months ago. He's the president of the International Association of Exorcists in the Catholic Church, another Navy SEALs in the Catholic Church. He says, quote, to live in a state of grace means always to say yes to Jesus and no to Satan. According to our baptismal promises, if we do not, we fall into sin, safeguarding and increasing the state of grace is a victory against ordinary activity of the demons who tempt us. Living in a state of grace is also the best prevention against the extraordinary activity of a demon. Again, he says, we must remember that the best means of prevention is to abide in the grace of God, pray, receive the sacraments and ask for the intercession of the Virgin Mary, the angels, and the saints. I'll give you one even, I'll give you a higher rank than these three exorcists. Saint Teresa of the Little Flower, she is a doctor of the church. What's a doctor? In the Catholic Church, you have saints that are canonized by the the Pope. That simply means that we know for sure this person's in heaven. It doesn't mean that your grandma, grandpa, husband, wife is not in heaven just because they haven't been canonized. When the church canonizes somebody, all they're saying is, we know with 100% certainty that they're in heaven, which doesn't mean that many of your family members that have died in in a state of grace are not in heaven just because the church hasn't canonized them. They may as well be, they may very well be there. These have, their lives have been examined, and the church is just guaranteeing that they're there. Now, among saints that are canonized, there's another tier called doctors. There's only 37 doctors that are saint. A, a doctor saint in the Catholic church is a saint who did something so in who had such incredible insight about God that they changed the face of the Catholic Church? Saint Teresa, the Little Flower, she's known for her prayer, for her teaching on prayer. She's a doctor of prayer, so she's not only a saint; she's part of the elite, the 37 elite saints that are doctors. Here's what she says: "Quote." She she wrote that in the book called the Do- uh, the Story of a Soul, Chapter One. She says this. A soul in the state of grace has nothing to fear from demons. Demons are cowards capable of running away from the look of a little child." Give it up for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So, now the question, so Jesse, what is a state of grace? Let me define it. Father John Harden, greatest Jesuit in the last hundred years we've had, Father John Hardin, a state of grace is the spiritual condition of an individual who has sanctifying grace in his soul, that's the grace of the sacraments, and he's free from mortal sin, and he's free from seriously disordered inclination to sin. However, the state of grace can be lost by the commission of one mortal sin. Venial sin weakens the state of grace, but does not destroy the state of grace in the soul. Let me share with you something else. Before I go to bed at night, you know, a lot of guys ask me, Jess, how do you pray? Because a lot of guys know that, again... I, I, I try to live a very disciplined life because the word discipline comes from the word disciple. And that's what we are, disciples of Jesus. So a disciple should be disciplined. Make sense, right? The word disciple, it, it actually means, it, it's a Greek word, mathetes, it means student, of the master. So a disciple means, literally in Greek, it means a student of Jesus Christ, amen? That's what it means. All right. so just like I eat three times a day, the Bible says we should be praying three times a day. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, the Holy Bible says that we should be praying three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. So for guys, I said, dude, you want to know how I pray? I have here Jesse Romero morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer. And I pick, I like the spiritual warfare prayers, I just like the certain prayers that I like that I want to be praying every day. Here's a prayer I pray at night, here's my evening prayer that I pray with my wife. I got an empty nest, my kids are up and gone, they're all young adults. But here's a prayer that I pray in the evening, I've been praying it for years. I do an exorcism prayer over my house every night, we're allowed to do that. As, as as, a father, the mother, as a married couple, you have power to expel demons from your house. This is basic church teaching. You have authority, mom and dad has authority in the house to bless the children, bless the house, call upon the name of God, and also expel demons. Here's a 500-year-old exorcism prayer that I pray every night is one of my night prayers over the house. I say, visit, O Lord, this habitation, and drive far from it all the snares of the enemy. Let Thy holy angels dwell therein, and may Thy blessing be upon us through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's a 500-year-old exorcism prayer for your house that parents should start praying. That prayer comes from the Council of Trent. It's a 500-year-old prayer. Here's another prayer that I think would be quite helpful. You know, what does the devil really want? He wants us to make, he wants us to believe that he doesn't exist. That's what he wants. That's that's his game plan. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, the devil's strategy in order to bring souls to hell is to convince people that Satan does not exist. A lot of people say, well, I can't see him, so I guess he doesn't exist. Let me respond to that. We can't see electricity, but we're looking at the effects of electricity. We can't see radio waves, we can feel the effects of radio waves. We don't see television waves or microwaves, but we see the effects of microwaves, television waves. We can see air, but all of us are inhaling and exhaling. We feel the effects of it. Not everything that exists can be seen. St. Anselm said about God, though we can't see God, we can feel His effects. You know the greatest effect of God? Love. 1 John 4, 16. When you feel genuine love, your spouse, your kids, somebody else, the ambiance, walking in the church, you're feeling God. God, St. Anselm says, God allows himself to be felt through his effects. Same with demons. Demons are pure spirit. They have no bones, they have no bodies, they're pure spirits. You can't see a demon, but you can certainly feel their effects. What are the effects of demons? I'll give you one. Confusion. Do we live in a time of confusion right now? More confusion? The great exorcist from Mexico, Padre Javier Sandoval, the exorc- the, uh, the top exorcist in Mexico City under Cardinal Norberto Rivera. He says, you can always tell the sign of, a, of the devil in a, in a society when there's confusion. Confusion is a sign of the presence of demons. Is there confusion? Two men can get married? What? We can kill babies? in a mother's womb all nine months? What? Euthanasia, 16 states, you can go to a doctor and say, hey, I wanna check out, here's a thousand dollars, I wanna get killed. Doctors used to be healers, we're turning them into murders. Confusion, embryonic fetal stem cell research, selling baby parts in the black market after they're aborted cloning human beings in laboratories, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, justifying it, using all kinds of justification to do so, to walk around intoxication. Are we living in a time of confusion? Absolutely. That's a sign of of the devil. That's a sign of a demon upon a society. Father Antonio Fortea from Spain, He says that, in case you're wondering, if demons can't take over entire countries and institutions, Father Antonio Fortea says that Hitler's SS, starting with Hitler, the entire SS was demonically possessed. Father Gabriel Amorth, the Vatican exorcist, says, communist Russia under Lenin Under the Bolsheviks, he says, the communist regime, they were all demonically possessed. Father Antonio Fortea said about a year ago, ISIS, every ISIS terrorist is demonically possessed. That's how you can tell the sign of of a demon in a society running rampant. Confusion. Anarchy is another sign of a demon. Archbishop Fulton Sheen says three signs of a demon in a society anarchy, confusion, nudity. Does that sound like America? Archbishop Sheen, three ways we know that Satan is alive and well in a culture and a society, and he's penetrated that culture confusion. Anarchy, nudity. Do you know that in San Francisco, I'm sure there's other places, in San Francisco, there's certain sections of San Francisco where people are allowed to walk naked. No crime. You have to watch yourself when you go to San Francisco because if you go with your family and kids, you know, you could I know what happened to a friend of mine. He went to a restaurant and all of a sudden people were walking in naked. He like, What? He had no he'd never been there before. Kind of sh- he's out with his daughters and his wife. Same with New York. They have laws there in New York where you can walk around topless. Is that a sign of the Holy Spirit or a sign of the devil? We're in the fight of our lives, Catholics. Okay? And the way we fight back as Catholics is with faith and prayer and telling the truth. Speaking the truth in charity. Stand your ground. Don't back down. We've got the truth. Here's a couple more things I just want to mention before I wrap it up. Why is it that there's so much Satanism in America right now? Less people are being baptized in the Catholic Church. Less people are being married in the Catholic Church. Demonic activity increases. Where there's a decline in morality in our society, where morality declines, there's an, an increase in demonic activity. Has morality declined in our society? Have you seen the stuff that comes out of Hollywood on television? Don't even get me started. Have you heard the stuff that comes out of MTV, VH1, Saturday Night Live, the Comedy Channel? you know how this is happening? I'll tell you why it's all happening. Our Lady of Fatima told us in 1917, in, in fact we're coming to the 100 year anniversary in three months. She told us that we could subvert all these things if Catholics would do three things, and we haven't done it. Pray the rosary every day, do penance, and fast. Our Lady of Fatima told us we can change the course of the world and our country from the moral chaos, and most Catholics haven't listened to that call. I do want to give kudos and props to Poland. There's 195 countries in the world. You know what Poland just did about two months ago? You know what Poland just did? Man, I almost want to be Polish. I'm not kidding. I always want to take off my Mexican suit and put on a Polish suit. You know what Poland did two months ago? The prime minister, all the politicians, their parliament, took to the streets with the Polish bishops and a joint church and state venture, the president officially consecrated Poland to Jesus Christ the King and they officially wrote in a charter that Jesus Christ is now forevermore the King of Poland. I hope that domino effect takes place through the other 194 countries. I won't hold my breath with the Muslim countries, but at least the European countries. Can you imagine, as Catholics, a, a president in this country, all of Congress and all the U.S. bishops taking to the streets in Washington and, and f- citing a proclamation saying, this country is consecrated and Jesus Christ is now working. Can you imagine? Poland? Because they're praying people. That's why. Rosaries in their hands, prayers in their mouth, Jesus in their heart. The churches over there are filled at mass with praying people. People in, in front of the blessed sacrament in adoration. And God heard the cry of Poland. The rest of Europe is falling apart. The rest of Europe is being decimated by secular humanism and Poland stands as a beacon of light in Europe. When people start praying things happen, God answers, not email, an mail <laughs> I'm gonna end with one last story, we'll we'll wrap it up here. I don't want to go too long. I've been known to be (laughs) long-winded. Man, I'm gonna give you a story right now. You're gonna be blessed right now. I'm gonna bless you with this story. Oh yeah. Let me show you the power. When When Catholics start storming heaven with prayer, and especially when Catholics are saying, you know what, I'm going to start doing a holy hour in my parish every week. I'm going to start praying in front of our Lord Jesus Christ in the blessed sacrament. I'm committing a holy hour every week for my city, for the bishop, for the president, for Congress, for our country, for peace in the world, for my family, the conversion of my kids. Here's what happened. Ciudad Juarez in Mexico just on the other side of of El Paso. For about the last five years, it's always in the top three most dangerous cities in the world to live. Here are the three most dangerous cities to live. Okay? Afghanistan, Iraq, Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Those are the three most dangerous, violent, more people are killed in those three locations than anywhere else on the planet. (laughs) Ciudad Juarez, Mexico run by the cartels who worship Satan. The Mexican cartels have a religion. It's called La Santa Muerte. They officially worship Satan. It's open. They're not hiding it. There's chapels all over Mexico with Satan, dressed like a grim reaper in a skeleton, where they go, the cartels, and the people that are associated with that business, where they go and pray and curse their enemies and ask the devil to protect them against the police. Uh, They do curses and hexes and incantations. There's a Catholic priest there, there in Ciudad Juarez, I think in 2014, there was 2,700 homicides, killings, from the Mexican cartel in Ciudad Juarez. And these people are savages. they in fact, they're probably worse than Muslim terrorists in what they do. At least the Muslim terrorists are trying to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in some perverted sense. But the Mexican cartels, they openly worship Satan. 2014, there was 2,700 homicides in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. This priest says, can't live like this no more. He told the bishop, we're going to start adoration chapels here. We got to start storming heaven with prayer. He went to the ten parishes in that diocese where most of the killing was taking place and he told all the priests, we need a perpetual adoration chapel, and we need people to be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He got 10 parishes to start a 24 hour, seven day week perpetual adoration chapel. Parishioners signed up for an hour, and 10 parishes were praying around the clock. Guess what the homicide rate was last year in Ciudad Juarez? 50 people. The year before, 2,700 violent murders, the diocese started perpetual adoration, Catholics started praying. The following year, 50 homicides. What am I telling you? Jesus Christ answers an email. Amen. Amen? Give it up for Jesus, praise the Lord. Here's the last thing I'm gonna say, and I'm done. (laughs) A lot of people wonder, they say, okay, Jess, you know. Me and my wife, we're, we're, you know, we're practicing our faith, and and things are going well, but my kids, you know, my kid smokes dope every day. This kid is, you know, watching pornography every day. This kid is an atheist over here. Uh, My daughter-in-law, she practices Wicca. Uh, My son-in-law, he's into Reiki and the New Age movement, and in our family, we have a lot of issues. Amen? we got some problems. Houston, we got problems. And so we wonder, man, I got to turn this ship around. Me and my wife, we're going, we're following that narrow path to heaven, but everybody around us, all my progeny, my offspring, they're all walking that wide path to hell, objectively speaking. And you know, as Catholics, one of the things that we don't do is we never pray to protect ourselves against demons, and we never pray to expel demons from our house. You know why? Because we've never been taught that. You know why? Because in the last couple of years, you know, we become more of a church that's, you know, more balloons, banners, and butterflies and kumbaya. <laughs> well, that doesn't work. We've got to tap into our Catholic tradition and start saying, wait a minute, the church has given us this rich treasure of prayers. We need to start using it. A team of exorcists at Mundelein Seminary, they wrote these deliverance prayers from evil spirits approved for lay Catholics that lay Catholics should pray every night before they go to bed to expel demons from their children, from their house, and to seal their house and protect their house from evil spirits. We've never been taught prayers like that, not no more. We're in a state of emergency now. We need those prayers. I've been praying these prayers for over ten years. I can tell you miracles have happened—miracles—with my kids as a result of this. In fact, you want a boy? A lot of men have a hard time getting their boys to pray because the boy is saying they roll their eyes and like you know they think oh, this is kind of like what mom and grandma does. When I introduced these prayers to my sons, I said, "Paul, Josh, sit down here. Let's." We're gonna pray these uh, prayers against evil spirits every night before you go to bed. Really, Dad? When they heard these prayers, they're both wrestlers. You know, they're very pretty aggressive guys. Eli said, "Dad, where do you get these prayers?" I said, "I got it from a friend, a couple of exorcists. They're, ri- they're written for Catholics." Listen to the language of this prayer. My boy said, "When I taught him these prayers at the age of ten, they're in their twenties now. They're going, Dad." I love these prayers, Dad. These prayers, they're powerful, they rock, oh, I love them. My boys are hooked to these prayers. Why? Listen to the language of these prayers and you'll see why. Most gracious Virgin Mary, thou who would crush the head of the serpent, protect us from the vengeance of the devil. We offer our prayers and supplications and sufferings and good, good words to thee, so that you, Mary, may purify them, sanctify them, and present them to thy son as a perfect offering. May this offering be given so that the demons that influence us or seek to influence us do not know the source of their expulsion and blindness. Blind them, Mary, so they know not our good works. Blind them, Mary, so they not know know on whom to take vengeance. Blind them, Mother Mary, so they may receive the just sentence for their works. Cover us with the precious. You start teaching boys these prayers? Are you kidding me? I got UFC fighters that have contacted me. Cage fighters. I won't mention their names. Said, My wife bought me this prayer book. My m- mom bought me this prayer book. Dude, I'm back in. I'm in the fight. I'm back in the Catholic Church. These prayers, I can get into these prayers every day. I got a guy just sent me an email from Afghanistan. Jesse, I'm 82nd Airborne. I'm over here in Afghanistan fighting for our country. My wife sent me your book. She says, every Catholic in the military should have this. He says, this is a combat manual on how to pray against evil. Why did I do that? Because we're losing too many men in the church. Because men are sick and tired of pastels and coloring books and balloons and banners and butterflies. we got to recapture what it means to be a man. Even my cover's pretty cool. What's in the front of the cover? This is a crusader. Who are these crusaders? Who's that? You know who these are? These brave Catholic men. We wouldn't be around right now if it wasn't for these brave Catholic men. In the Middle Ages, when Islamic terrorists tried to invade Catholic Europe and overthrow the Catholic Church, these men strapped it on. They grabbed the rosary, put it in their pocket, did a holy hour before Jesus, and jumped on the ship and defended Holy Mother Church for 800 years against Islamic invasion. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. We as Catholics have to know how to pray like them. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel. Defend us in battle, be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do Thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Let me teach you the oldest exorcism prayer in the Catholic Church. It's in my book. You need to learn this prayer whenever you feel the presence of a demon. This prayer was written. 1,600 years ago by Saint Anthony of Egypt. Repeat after me. You feel a bad thought coming on, an evil presence. You say this. Behold the cross of the Lord. Begone evil spirits. The line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Repeat after me. I cover myself with the precious blood of Jesus I cover my family with the precious blood of Jesus I cover my marriage with the precious blood of Jesus I cover my offspring with the precious blood of Jesus I claim the full armor of God from head to toe in the name of the Father Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm done! to me real quick, give me a J.